0: This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia.
1: To Fm 103.7 with Finance Talkback and Barry Preston.
0: Well, we're very uh, lucky again to have our, uh, one of our great guests with us, Terry McCran. And of course, Terry, with a quarter of a century, I think since 1987, he's written a daily column or commentary on business, the economy, and politics. He reaches uh, the biggest audience or the b- bigger audience than any other columnist in Australia. And that's, of course, through The Daily and The Sunday Telegraphs, The Australian in Melbourne, The Herald Sun and Sunday. Herald Sun, he has provided critical analysis and commentary on great events and personalities that have shaped our nation. A former Graham Perkins Journalist of the Year, Financial Journalist of the Year, and a winner of the Melbourne Press Club's Golden Quill Award, also winning the prestigious Wakeley Award. You're not lining up for the Olympics, Terry, are you? No, not yet. I think I'm that. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. We've got a lot, and I know you have to go a little bit early today. So let's get straight into it in, without mucking around anymore. Inflation—I don't think that's much of a discussion at the moment, is it?
1: No, it's not, Barry. I—I'd uh, I'd be concerned that we don't think that it's gone for all time. But certainly, so far as the Reserve Bank is concerned, it's not worried about inflation. It's worried about the exact opposite, which is the economy. Going into recession, or even worse. I mean, we're we're facing the most difficult times, and I talk, when I say we, I mean the world, since uh, probably since the Great Depression, certainly since
0: the Second World War. Mm, we certainly are. I believe in our last interview, and I remember you saying something like, we would be facing some very big challenges if our interest rates get to 2.5%. Do you believe this may be a distinct possibility? I've seen some, com, uh, some com, commentators saying that it could be 2% by April. Uh,
1: well it won't, we're talking now about the official rate. This is the, the official. Not, yeah. not what people might, will actually borrow. It. I mean, the listeners be salivating if they think they can borrow. It's
0: 2.5%. That's correct. Uh,
1: it's now, it's now um, three and a quarter percent. Uh, it may come down. The Reserve Bank needs to in two weeks. It may come down then. The Reserve Bank doesn't want to cut again. It wants to see what the impact of its cuts are and the government stimulus package. But mm-hmm. it's obviously very concerned about
0: uh,
1: the economy getting getting worsening, the economic conditions worsening. Um the, the challenge to me, Barry, is if interest—I mean, interest rates cannot only be too high, but they can be too low. Yes. And when interest rates are too low, people aren't prepared to save. People aren't prepared to invest. Mm. Uh, so there's negative outcomes from that. Obviously, if interest rates are too low, it's the source of telling you that the economy is in recession.
0: Mm-hmm. So, look, I suppose there are positives in our rates. So we, Australia, do have room to move, and, of course, we're at 3.25%. I think it's about a 45-, 46-year low compared to the USA, which is at a quarter of a percent. I could imagine, Terry, just you and I, just imagine we're the federal treasurer or the uh, federal chiefs in America sort of thing going into our reserve meeting and saying, well, hi, how are you? We've got nothing to discuss. <laughs> it's a quarter of a percent. Let's have a cup of coffee and uh, beat it.
1: Well, you're exactly right, Barry. We've got the ability to cut, and uh, indeed, we have the ability to, to stimulate the economy through the budget because of those surpluses from previous years. Mm-hmm. We've got we've got money in the tank. Um, uh, the second concern about this, Barry, is if you can't cut interest rates, you start playing around with other things that you might try to do to stimulate the economy, right. and some of those things might not be good for the long-term health of the economy. So. Uh, you know, the whole thing is, as you say in the mess, we have the, in the US as a mess, we have the advantages that they don't have. Doesn't mean that we won't suffer the same sort of pain, but certainly we're in better shape
0: to try and deal with it. Mm. It doesn't seem to be happening Even though they've cut their interest rates throughout the world The the stimulation doesn't seem to be coming through And look, apart from the huge spending sprees Do treasuries have any other ammunition to throw at this This financial challenge? Say Japan, this country which is the second biggest economy Has been asleep for the the last 10 or 15 years And, And of course the USA and then there's the UK They're the biggest economies in the world I mean, what else is there?
1: Well, those are the two. You've done it exactly right there, that Japan went through the 90s with virtually no growth because of the problems that it allowed to accumulate coming into the 1990s. And I think that's the very big warning to us looking forward, that don't assume that um, we can easily get out of this. I'm talking again of the world. Uh, and um, that there's some easy magic button to press. Uh, obviously, governments can try other things, like directly putting money in uh, in bank accounts, uh, which is what's being proposed now in the United States, with people getting direct relief on their mortgage payments to try and stop them uh, defaulting on their mortgages. Uh, all of these things might sound nice at the time, Barry, but you know you're you're an old old uh, mm. finance fan, and you know that um, if it doesn't make a lot of sense in basic financial terms, if you're subsidising people. for their past mistakes, you've
0: got to pay a price for that. It reminds me of an uh, analogy I've used of an orchard. If you've got three trees of a hundred that are sick and so forth and you spend all your time trying to make those trees better, what about the other 97 trees? Mm. Exactly right. Okay, look, I get the impression from some comments that our leaders are giving us two messages. Here's the cash, spend, spend, spend. Then in the next breath, unemployment will rise and the economy will be tough. It seems to me that people are becoming fearful of this, and using the squirrel effect and stashing their cash away.
1: Well, exactly right. I mean, it's it's, a, it's an irrational message, isn't it? And people, will, people will react as you would sensibly. That if, if in fact Kevin Rudd gets up and says the times are tough, things are going to be terrible, we face the worst uh, recession since the Great Depression of the nineteen thirties, but I'd like you to I'd like you to go out and spend it. Uh, well, it's just, it's a complete contradiction in terms. Obviously, if you are going to face tough times, you are going to be more concerned to put some money away for that rainy day. And, mm. uh, the idea that, uh, that's one part of the equation. Uh, the other part of the equation is the idea that, that we can, what got us into this mess in the first place was too much borrowing and too much consumer spending. And the, the solution that the Prime Minister is offering is, is go out and spend some more Uh, at this time you'll have to borrow it I'll
0: give it to you yes and taking, talking further on the so-called stimulation packages happening around the world two questions first let's pick the USA they had large budget deficits before they started pumping their economy with staggering amounts of dollars China had large surpluses and it is or has pumped its economy with some six or seven hundred billion of surplus question one What are the dangers that these two economies can face?
1: Well, the the major danger the US faces is it's not facing up to that reality that it was living way beyond its means, and and it's it's refusing to face that reality and uh, just thinks it can keep the music playing. And on the other side of the equation, China has has had this very effective program of development which has developed the country, but it's also generated surpluses uh, and it may find that um, it will blow all that uh, in the attempt to uh, to prevent uh, the growth slowing. So on both sides of the equation, I think we all should remember, Barry, that both those countries are going to do what they think will help them.
0: Mm, of course. Uh,
1: and a country like Australia can get chewed up in that process. You know, they're not going to they're not going to be making decisions in Beijing and Washington to help Australia.
0: Uh, And we've got to be very mindful
1: of that when we face some of these issues that come out of all
0: this. I I was reading somewhere, uh, Terry, I found it and I can't remember where I found it, but China's gross domestic product per capita ranks near 100th in the world, but it is actually subsidised. Extraordinary, Extraordinary, isn't it? It's uh, subsidising the world's richest economy. Yeah, Um, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And of course, once they start issuing one, two, three, four trillion dollars, we know what the dollar is going to do down the track. That's a big concern.
1: Exactly. I mean, at the moment, the dollar, the, we're talking again of the US, the US dollar, dollar, is quite strong. Uh, but the, the government is doing everything to trash it in the, in, in the long run. And uh, at some point, that's going to break. That's going to crack. And you're listening to, to a new RFM 103.7, Finance Talkback and Barry Preston. We have our special guest, Terry McCran with us today.
0: We certainly do, and Terry, of course, has written daily commentary on the business and the economy and politics for many, many years, I believe, since 1987. We read about... Or we read Terry's uh, columns in the Daily Telegraph and Sunday Telegraph here in New South Wales. <clears throat> in all this kerfuffle that's happening around the world, there seems to be a bit of silence coming out of the second most populous nation on earth, and that's India, apart from, of course, the uh, uh, cooking the books of uh, one of their executives one of their biggest companies. What's going on with these people, for goodness sake?
1: Well, indeed, very. I mean, the same, they, they get the corruption and fraud everywhere, obviously. That's the best you know that. I think uh, narrowly, in terms of uh, what's happening in the world, India doesn't really matter a lot at the moment. It's not the United States, which is the centre of the world's economy and the centre of the world's financial system. And it's not China, which is our biggest uh, customer and the the, the country that was supposed to keep the whole world economy turning over. Mm. So India's not all that important in the scheme of things. It's obviously very important for the Indians, and and (laughs) the Indians will be suffering just as much as the other countries from the downturn, but it's not really going to make a big
0: difference. Terry, I've had a lot of uh, people put questions to me about, many of them actually, about the priming of the economies and countries' budgets going into deficit. And I'd like to explain it in the following manner if we can. If we could, if we can, if this is a good way of explaining it, just imagine a house budget. We earn income, we save it, we spend, but not more than we earn, that's good. We have surpluses. The next thing, this is your house budget, we spend too much, we have to borrow from a bank, building, society or credit union and we have a deficit. Can we jump now to the Australian budget? Would we say this is a similar sort of thing?
1: I think, very it's useful to think of a, of a national country's budget as being not unlike a family's budget, i.e. you've got to live within your means uh, and you have income and expenditure and you have borrowings to invest Hmm. obviously buy a house in the case of the the, the government to build infrastructure uh, but it, at the same time you can only take and, and obviously if you overspend you're going to end up with difficulties down the track but to some extent you also have to separate it that a government can issue bonds in a way and sustain spending in a way that the individual can't beyond their income uh, and that's not necessarily entirely unhealthy uh, so it's a matter of yes, you know that foundation makes sense, Barry. To think about it in household terms, income, expenditure, and once you go beyond that, uh, you're starting to run some issues. But but for a government, provided the deficits aren't huge and uh, the and they're not um, getting worse, I think um, we can live
0: with it. Okay, look, we have about five minutes with you. I know you have to rush. Let's look at these things. So the government's going to borrow. Let's focus on the Treasury. How many ways can it borrow? And who from?
1: Well, the, the, at the end of the day, it really can only borrow by issuing bonds or Treasury notes, which are short the short-term version of the bonds. And it issues those notes in Australia, uh, or in the bonds or in the international capital markets. Mm-hmm. And... Historically, Australia has been a very attractive place for people to for foreigners to invest. Now, clearly, we're in such uncharted world as now buried with what's happened to the financial system around the world. It's unclear whether people will happily invest in Australian government bonds going forward. I think they will, mm. as foreigners, uh, and I think obviously superannuation funds in Australia will also find them attractive to invest in government bonds because they, um, you know. They, 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 they're not all that enthusiastic about investing
0: in the share market. So, OK, what sort of rates would one pay in comparison to, say, now the cash rate? We, let's, let's say you and I, with the treasury, we're going to release a lot of money into bonds, or we're going to borrow a lot of money into bonds, and our rate is 3.25%. Now, remember, are we going to buy, borrow fixed or floating? And are we going to borrow short or long term? I don't think the public will accept long term because those rates can be locked can't they if they're fixed?
1: Well they will be they will be they, they will they will generally be fixed rate. Uh now it's a very short end the, the government is issuing treasury notes or treasury bills they are actually less than the cash rate because people are so afraid of putting their money anywhere else that they will take a rate which is lower than the cash rate knowing that it's guaranteed by the Australian government. Uh, although today the same thing applies to to investing in bank deposits, uh, but obviously that that deposit guarantee is, is intended not to be permanent. Hmm. Uh, but generally, you would expect the bond to have some sort of a margin over the cash rate barrier. So, if the cash rate, as it is, three and a quarter percent, and you wanted the people to buy a five-year bond, you'd offer them three and a half or four percent.
0: Right. So, if Treasury then does compete with the banks in the public arena. Uh, is there a possible possible challenges with interest rates increasing because of demand? Treasury hasn't borrowed for some time. And, OK, people want to dive out of the banks and put it into the uh, treasuries.
1: I don't think that's a big problem at the moment, Barry, because there's so much money which is sitting in superannuation funds and in bank deposits that uh, uh, people would... There's no, there's no shortage of supply of cash, if you like, uh, it would become a problem if we actually got the economy picking up, uh, and, and not only were, were bank deposits, banks seeking to buy, uh, get people, money from people, but companies were going back to borrow again, and you would have the government also competing for funds, then we'd have a problem. Then, then, then the government would, borrowing would tend to squeeze out the necessary borrowing from other people that want to use the money for productive purposes.
0: And also, if, if, if the rates are similar to banks, why would the public invest with banks and building societies with the added credit rate risk, um, that government guarantee, whether it stays or not, I don't know. Why would you do that when you can invest with the government where there's no risk? Well, one assumes there's no risk.
1: Well, there's no risk in a, in, a, in a sense that they won't repay it. I mean, the risk is that, as you say, we get inflation and the interest rates go up and therefore the interest rate you get is going to be less. In the similar bond will issue in a year's time or two years time uh it's a matter of demand and supply barry the, the government is not going to borrow that much uh even if it goes out and borrows 30 billion uh we've got more than a trillion dollars in bank deposits so it's not something that's going to reform the money out of bank deposits they're just not going to borrow that much at this stage which of course problem for the banks
0: Okay, we've borrowed this money. Somewhere, sometime, we've got to pay it back. Now, with higher taxes, lesser spending, I believe that may not necessarily be correct. But you know, once upon a time, the public owned a number of assets, and these have been sold to clear some of the budget deficits. I believe, and some of those, of course, were the old Telstra and the Qantas, etc., etc. We don't have much left to spend uh, to sell, actually, do we?
1: Uh, no, uh, we don't. Not as much as we had. I mean, there's still a lot of publicly owned infrastructure out there. If you look at the state level, things like schools and hospitals. Um, but the government doesn't really ever have to pay it back, Barry. Uh, <laughs> provided if we're not talking about, we're not talking about, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, people, particularly superannuation funds, want to have government debt to, to invest in. Mm. And if the when they, when these bonds mature in five years' time, the government reissues a fresh set of bonds. People will just roll over their money, so uh, they don't have to pay it back in an absolute sense. We don't have to go back to running budget surpluses, either got from taxes or from cutting spending. Right. Pay it back, provided it all comes back to degree, Barry. Provided there's not, you know, they don't go crazy and start borrowing hundreds of billions of dollars.
0: And waste it on things that, like, instead of spending it on infrastructure, wasted on money that is spent by the public. And I say that exactly. where it's sort of gone out the door, like if you your own budget where you buy things that are wasted and uh, holidays and all that sort of thing, and you have got nothing to show for it. Exactly. Okay. Do you think we might be creating some problems for our children's and children's children's children? I
1: don't think that at this stage what the government is doing on the budget is. I'd be more concerned about how do we actually build a, in a more general sense, build a prosperous Australia going forward. We we thought we were going to do it with China and this never-ending resources boom. Mm. And as a consequence of that, we were quite happy to see a lot of the manufacturing in Australia closed down. Mm. We didn't need to make our own... Uh, machine uh, you know housing furniture and those sorts of things we could buy from china provided we were going to sell us sell the raw materials to china so if we're not going to find that that's going to be as easy to do going forward or as or as we're not going to get as much as we thought we were going to get for it i'd be concerned about where are the jobs of the future going to come from and where is the prosperity of australia going to be based in 5, 10, 15 20 years time what sort of australia yeah what sort of jobs will our children and grandchildren inherit?
0: One more question, then we're going to let you go. How are we going? Is that okay? One more? Yes, that's fine. Our stock market. Very quickly, two companies come to mind. Oz Minerals and Rio Tinto. And there's much talk of a Chinese company, Chinalco, putting funds into uh, Rio Tinto and they seem to be getting this fairly cheaply. Of course Rio Tinto went out and bought at the top of the market one of its many a number of its assets and now it's down. And of course Oz Minerals uh, went out uh, looked as though it was going to fire on and didn't and it's a total fiasco. If we sell these products, if we sell these companies to the Chinese, that money that we would have made on those companies is really going direct to China and we won't be there to help us pay back some of these deficits if we let the floodgates open.
1: It's a very, very big question, Barry. You put your finger on it. Do we allow this to happen and therefore the profits of our own development in the future goes to China? rather than to Australian investors and Australian shareholders and, and, and indeed uh, the Australian government through uh, the various ways of taxing it. Now, I don't know how the government's going to respond to this because one, one, one or two of these takeovers might be okay, mm-hmm. but if we sort of say open door, they can the Chinese who've got the money can take over the entire Australian uh, mining industry Exactly. I mean, you know, where does that leave us in five and ten years' time? I don't have the answer to
0: that. Nobody does. And remember we knocked, uh, I think Costello knocked Woodside back when Shell wanted to take more of it, didn't he, because of a national interest?
1: He did, uh, and it proved to be a very wise decision. Yes. But, but, you know, what happens if somebody, the Chinese now, the Chinese now coming, uh, knocking on Woodside's door? Uh, anything is possible in terms of uh, the, the seeking the opportunity to buy these, assets at very cheap prices, mm. uh, which they, they you know, very specifically will benefit from.
0: Very much so. Terry, look, I know you have to go. And be, on behalf of all our listeners on 2 RFM 103.7, once again, thank you very much indeed for your comments and uh, uh, being our guest. And we'll hear from you. We'll get you back again in another few months and see what's happening then.
1: Okay, Barry, and I hope things are are better for you and your listeners, but I have to say I'm fairly pessimistic about what might come down the pike uh, through the course of 2009, but I hope it's better than I'm dreading.
0: I think it will be, Terry. We've got to be positive. All the best. Okay, thank you.
1: Thank you, Terry McCran. You're listening to Finance Talkback here on 2NURFM 103.7.